Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. For episode number 35, we have a special guest. And for right now, I'm not going to tell you who it is. Instead, I'm going to quickly read a brief bio for this person and see if you can guess. This person won the Pikes Peak Marathon four times. For adventure racing, this person won the Primal Quest four times and has done 441 endurance races, including 390 of those on the podium, and was Athlete of the Year six times in four different sports. Uh, Who am I talking with? I'm out here in Moab, Utah, and I'm talking with... Danelle Ballengee. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Danelle. And in case you didn't catch that, that's Danelle Ballengee. All these things are true. And the real giveaway is that she has the FKT, the female FKT in the Colorado 14ers, which she set 19 years ago, and she still has. Yes. I don't think anybody's attempted it since then, at least female. Right, right. So you were, you just want everything you entered pretty much, and then you got into adventure racing, right when it was kind of at its peak, when there was money to be made and it was a happening thing, you were doing it all. I was. I I mean, that's my passion. It still is, and back then it was, and I took the time and the commitment to do what I love to do, and and it was great. It was, those were the good years. (laughs) And then a very notable event happened in December 2006, which not only took the uh, sport world, but it made national news, if not international news. And what happened, Danelle? Um, Well, I was out for a training run here in Moab, a casual training run, and um, it was December of 2006, and next thing I know... My foot slipped on some ice, and I started sliding down a uh, slick rock section and basically fell 60 feet um, and landed it, Um, but I shattered my pelvis, and I got stuck out there for um, two nights and three days in freezing cold temperatures with a a broken pelvis until, um, thanks to my wonderful neighbor Dorothy and my amazing dog Taz um, eventually the rescue crews got to me and uh, I lived to tell about it. Apparently so and you would not have made it another night. Um, No I mean I had most people only live for about eight hours with injuries like that um, with with the internal bleeding and I think because of the cold I was able to to last as long as I did, um, but um, also because of the cold, I was exposed to hypothermia, and the next night, it actually snowed that night, and there's no way that I would have made it another night out there with the blood loss and the hypothermia. Well, according to the hospital re- report, you lost one-third of your total blood volume, and you lay out there in December on that rock, like you said, for two nights and three days. And of course, that's a story right there, isn't it? I mean, that's an amazing story. I'm so lucky. I mean, whenever I think about it, the longer it's been since the accident, I look back on it and think about how lucky I, I was to make it. I mean, I shouldn't have made it. I was really lucky. 
Well, the quote uh, from the paper, I thought, uh, was, was pretty good. From the rescuer, I mean. The rescuer said, this was a world-class, I-eat-nails-for-breakfast person. <laughs> and uh, we're, I'm thinking she's been out there for two nights. I'm thinking she didn't twist an ankle. I'm thinking there's something very, very serious going on. And uh, they were right. There, there were, although I really have never had nails for breakfast. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought you did, but... <laughs> No. Uh, we, we've run together. I thought for sure you were eating nails for breakfast. I might try them someday, but I haven't yet. <laughs> now, Danelle, the story really blew up because of Taz. Yeah. A girl and her dog. Yeah. And it was amazing. So Taz was reported to be running, was with you at first, and would run away. And you were thinking, oh, where's Taz going? Turns out Taz was running back to the trailhead. And Taz was, uh, you know, running around in circles and barking, then running back to you. And finally, people started to figure it out because you weren't even on the trail, and the trail you had fell off of was very obscure. So nobody was going to stumble on you. They basically had to be led to you. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, that's just another miraculous part of the story that Taz did that. I mean, I I knew he was a great dog, but. I never imagined that a dog would actually do something like that. And you hear the Lassie story, and, you know, it's it's a nice story, but you never think it's true. And it, it couldn't have been more true in my case. I mean, he, Taz did his job, and uh, thanks to him, I'm here, and uh, pretty lucky. Yes, very lucky. Now that, uh, just so people understand, well, I first should note that there's an incredible well-written story in Runner's World by David Friedman. And so, in my opinion, do you support mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. So, listeners, just Google uh, Danelle Ballengee, Runner's World, or the dog. Any, you can almost Google anything. It's going to come up. But read the Runner's World story. It's very, very well-written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did a good job. Um, he did a good job with telling the story in that interview. And he's the same gentleman who wrote The King of Pain, describing Scott Jurek. So he uh, he does good profiles. Mm-hmm. Now, you were also interviewed, if I'm not mistaken, by Japanese television came over here. Mm-hmm. So uh, dog stories are popular. I, I don't know that the Japanese version is quite as accurate, but <laughs> it's definitely entertaining. <laughs> well, I haven't seen that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, they, they took a little liberties there, or uh, it was uh, yeah, it's interesting. It uh, it makes me laugh and cry at the same time. So you can watch the Japanese version. Yeah. Okay. Fun. Is it findable on the internet? I'm not sure. I mean, <laughs> I remember seeing it when it I got a copy after it came out, but I'm not sure if that one made it to the internet or not. Uh-huh. I know the I shouldn't be alive um, version of the story, which is on YouTube now. Um, and also on Netflix, season one has been, I mean, I get emails from people all over the world. Um, wow. And uh, that one seems to be the most, th- that's the one that most people see the story from. What's the name of the show? I Shouldn't Be Alive. Okay, that's a Netflix show? It's on Netflix, and they also have something on YouTube. My son found something on YouTube the other night. <laughs> all right, it keeps yeah. going. And... Of course, I know this doesn't really compare to being on our podcast, but you were also on the Today Show 
uh, we, we don't require makeup before you go on the FK podcast. So I didn't have any makeup on the Today Show either. They actually mm-hmm. caught me while I was still in the hospital just a few days after um, the accident. And the agreement there was that I would get to see Taz if I did the show. And so, of course, I was on board because I hadn't seen Taz since they took me away in the helicopter. And it was a pretty touching um, interview because it really was the first time that I saw Taz. And the doctors were there, and uh, my dad was in the interview. And then they brought Taz, they wheeled me down in my bed to the lobby, let Taz come into the lobby, and I got to see him. And then uh, my sister lived in Denver at the time. And so they, after the TV show, they brought him home and he actually escaped my sister's house, jumped the fence, ran all the way back to the hospital, like two or three miles, ran through the hospital doors, trying to come back and find me. Um, but then he, they didn't, he didn't make it up to my, my floor, (laughs) but they had to, they wouldn't allow him in the hospital beyond that point, but. That's a good dog. Well, now I got come back tears in my eyes, and I'm not even a dog person. You're making me uh, getting to me with this one. You got to get yourself a dog. All these <laughs> adventures you do, you need one. You might need one someday. <laughs> well, this is a this is a valid point. You never know. I mean, you, you don't need a GPS if you just bring your dog. <laughs> Well, indeed, you and I were out above town a couple of years ago. Remember that? Yes. We went up uh, trying to find a new way up the uh, above, on the rim behind the rocks, and there's that hand line, and you had just you're recovering from an injury from a trampoline accident. Yes, that's what I got for playing, trying to keep up with my eight year old. <laughs> and then a stray, not a stray, but a random dog followed you up from the neighborhood. And, and waited with you at the bottom for you at the bottom of the cliff until you came back down and accompanied you back to your car. Yeah, I think that dog knew how much I missed running with dogs because it found me and, and joined me. And at that point, Taz um, and my other dog, um, Caribou, both were too old to do runs. Mm. So, and it was interesting because we lost that dog on the handline um, because it was a technical kind of handline section. Um, and we went a little bit further, and you kept going, and I came back because I had to pick up the kids from school, and um, the dog was there waiting for me. It was so sweet. Yeah, it's uncanny. So maybe your recommendation of getting a dog is has validity. I'll, I'll consider it. <laughs> you should. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's something else to consider. So you were 2006, but in 2003, there was Aaron Ralston. That's a famous story. Uh-huh. They made a movie of that one, of course. I still haven't gotten the guts up to watch the movie. Oh. I think it would just hit home too much. Interesting. I've got to watch the movie one of these days, though. I mean, I know the story, and I had met Aaron prior to the accident, but I still haven't seen the movie. I'm still, I think I still hold too much uh, fear to, it would just hit me too hard. Interesting. Well, I closed my eyes at the climatic scene, but I'm squeamish. But then... Uh, then it was just four years ago, actually four years ago tomorrow, May 23rd, that Dave Mackey, your adventure racing partner, took that tumble off Bear Peak. Yeah, he's lucky 
He's a lucky guy, too. Indeed. Yeah. So there's the three of you. Now, the first two, of course, you and Aaron were very remote. Very lucky about that. Dave was not remote. Mm -hmm. So someone found him within minutes. Mm -hmm. But he might not have made it that first night. Yeah. Yeah, he's lucky that somebody was able to get to him and they were able to get him. Well, and I think his injuries um, were pretty severe, too. So he's yeah. really lucky that somebody yeah. got to him. And Yeah. So I appreciate the dog recommendation, but what about a personal locator beacon? <laughs> I got to ask. <laughs> I, that's probably a good idea, too. Okay. And you're not the first person that has asked. I still don't have one. I've never you been very good. You don't have one. I've okay. never been very good about technology and also since the accident I really haven't been on too many like remote long adventures I tend to sort of take the same path um, and I've got two kids now so I tend to stay on trails closer to home and they always know when I'm going to come back um, but I think back in 2006 I was single and I was going out on a lot a lot of long adventures um, with nobody to report back to so at that time if they had such devices I, I that would have been a good thing to have and I think that at some point in the future I'll be getting one. Oh, good glad to hear that because I hope to get back into these longer adventures um, once time allows nice <laughs> nice well I'm going to editorialize that I'm a big supporter of PLBs Okay. So I just got us, and dogs are great. Dogs provide other amenities. You take both, though, right? The dogs can carry it. <laughs> dogs can carry it. <laughs> hmm. I'll have to contemplate that, but uh, the PLB technology is very good now. Uh, the spot was the first big one. I'm just going to add this as part of our conversation. The DeLorme in reach, in my opinion, is, is very light. The Mini, and it pairs with your phone. So you can actually type and send and receive, not just send. You can type text messages on your phone rather than those micro little irritating screens. So that's pardon, nice that, pardon yeah. that little interruption. No, that's, that's I need, this is good for me to learn. Too. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's continue with your life's track here, which is so interesting because Boulder, you were just a peripatetic athlete. You just would run up Long's Peak in the morning, come back in the afternoon, and wonder what else to do. And then you moved up to Dillon. Mm -hmm. And then you moved out to the Moab here. And you've been here now for 19 years. And Moab has just blown up. It's crazy. It's a little too crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's going crazy now. I mean, it's a great place. But it's, uh, it's showing some growing pains with all the tourism. Yeah. Industrial tourism, I believe, is the term. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's another topic, another podcast, maybe. But you've been here a long time, so you've always been ahead of the game, if I may say so. You know, you, you, 19 mm -hmm. years ago, you, you, know, you bought this house for a spare change, almost. And yeah. Nowadays, not so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would. Uh, I mean, I love Dylan. Um, but it was long winters, and so I would come out to Moab in both the spring and the fall to do some training and find some dry ground like all the tourists are doing now. And eventually I just felt like I wanted a place to call home um, and take a shower after my adventure. So 
I bought this fixer-upper um, in the year 2000 and just do little fix-up projects every year or two. You were smart. Yeah, it's great. And then I heard that you bought a hamburger stand. And I thought, what? That doesn't make any sense. The now bought a hamburger stand? That's crazy. And a few years later, come out here and there's Milt's. And Milt's is the best hamburger stand there ever was. Oh, yeah. Milt's was actually the uh, as the oldest restaurant in Moab. Oh. It was uh, originally... 1954 when Milt himself built Milt's and it was on Main Street at that at that point uh, Main Street has changed but Milt's has stayed the same and um, and it was 2007 when we bought it and um, it was after the accident and I needed something to do and it seemed kind of fun um, and it had always I'd always kind of wanted to have my own business so no better time than the present and uh, I really enjoyed it for 12 years, and now I'm done. I still love Milt's, but as far as the uh, hamburger making goes, <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> oh, indeed. Well, and you, uh, I haven't been in a few years. You can't get in. I mean, unless it's December or January. Yeah. It's, it's, it's packed. Yeah. I mean, it's just a teeny little restaurant. There's one grill. Um, and there's the tourism in Moab is crazy. So Milt's always has a line as, as do most every restaurant in mm -hmm. Moab during the spring and the fall. If you hit it at the right time, you can actually eat out at a restaurant, but, um, December, other, yeah, December, January, <laughs> but otherwise it's typically pretty crazy. August isn't so bad either. Ah, okay. Make sure you find a place with air conditioning. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> indeed, and I should sadly note that you and BC are divorced, and so you're no longer working at Milt's. Right, yeah. Sorry to hear that, but your race directing is going full force. I mean, you, you've been race directing forever also. You used to direct snowshoe races back in uh, Dillon, Mm -hmm. uh, when snowshoe racing was a thing. Yeah, I reached my, the first race I ever directed, I had no idea what I was doing. It was in 1998, and really? it was the Evergreen Triathlon. And um, I had been participating in triathlon, so I had a general idea of, of how to do it. But it was pretty overwhelming, but it went pretty good, and I learned a lot. And every year since then, I learn even more. Um but yeah, the snowshoe races that after the Evergreen Triathlon, um, that kind of ended with as Evergreen grew and the traffic got busier through Evergreen. And then I moved up to Dillon and the snowshoe races were a blast. Um, I think those Snowshoe were, racing was popular for a while. It was. And those were so much fun just because, you know, you, head out on your snowshoes with a bunch of flags and you mark this course just as wild as you want it to be and you get to be creative and go where you want to go and uh, those were really fun. I remember doing one that went on the frozen over uh, Dillon Reservoir. Yes, yeah. That was, yeah, there, it went out across the ice out to a little island right. on Dillon Reservoir. The yeah. island, I remember the yeah. island. And then you had to take a piece of candy from the, the uh, oh. candy bag. And you had to, and you couldn't eat the candy. You had to until you finished the race. You had to bring the piece of candy 
to the finish to prove that you had made it across the ice and back to the island. Well, I forgot that part. I remember the island distinctly, but I forgot the candy part. I remember some <laughs> steep little sections. But like you said, on snowshoes, you can just go through some fog. You can do interesting yeah, courses. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Those are fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I miss the snowshoeing. Oh, races. you do? I miss... Yeah, I haven't done a snowshoe race, but I miss just setting the courses and organizing the races. Those were so much fun. Well, speaking of setting courses, anyone who's done the Moab Trail Marathon, or even the Half Marathon, notices or knows about your flair for course setting. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Trail Marathon has, is it two or three handline sections? Um... Well, it's got three sections. There's only really got one section with an actual pan line. It's got three sections. It's got two other sections where I think people would like to see a hand line, but instead they just have to scoot or scoot on their butt. Ah, so the butt move. Yeah, the butt scoot. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I should know that this is and has been for many years the USATF National Trail Marathon Championship, mm -hmm. and yet. In case you're wondering if you're going to be ticking down you know, 515 miles, no, because there's the hand line and the two butt scoot sections. Correct. Yeah. Although unbelievably, some of the some of the top guys are running it just barely under three hours. So somehow they're able to move through that course really fast. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's fast. That's yeah. fast. But I like that, Danelle, because that was it showed your flair. It showed your AR background. I thought. It does, and it actually goes right past the section where I slipped and fell in 2006. So um, we call that section Taz's Canyon, and uh, and so it kind of has a deeper meaning, that course, to me. And um, Some of it's on Jeep roads, um, some of it's on single track, some of it's on no track. It's got a little mix of everything. Right, and even the half marathon drops you into Cane Creek, mm -hmm. which has water in it. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a slow mile split right there around, isn't it mile 10 to 11 or 11 to 12? Yeah, some years it's actually pretty fast um, because it's dry and the creek bed dries up and it's nice and packed down. And I've missed those years. Yeah, <laughs> and other years, it's, <laughs> there's, there's been some years when it's there's holes that are chesty. <laughs> right. So uh, it just kind of depends on... Uh, Depends on how much rain we get the week before. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I, the first year I did that half marathon, your half marathon, I said, I'm going to let, I felt like I could pass this guy. I said, no, I'm going to let him go first. And that was good tactics on my part. But suddenly, boom, he's up to his waist. I said, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go around that spot. <laughs> yeah. When I set the course, I can see the bottom, but when the runners come through, it gets pretty churned up. And uh, so they, they just have to go for it. <laughs> Classic stop. I think it, I really, I, some people complain, but most people enjoy it and have fun with it. Right. It's trail running. That's right. I mean, if you're yeah. a roadie, roadies are different. They got their watch, you know, they've got their PR, they got their splits. But trail runners, mm, we got our cameras. That's right. You got to go with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> Literally sometimes. <laughs> Literally sometimes. <laughs> well, you've always been a multi-sport person. It comes natural to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear you might be doing another AR. Uh, I'm actually signed up for the Ogre Adventure Race up in Driggs, Idaho. 
Um, and, uh, and yeah, I still got to start my training for that. And then when is but the race? It's in a couple of weeks. So tons of time. <laughs> I mean, I can't get away. From, I've got to sign myself <laughs> up because if I lose touch with, uh, with adventure racing, then I'll lose touch with it for good. So even if I don't get any training in, I'm going to go out there and have a good time. So I hope to hope my experience from past years kicks in. <laughs> I think right. it will. <laughs> All right. So it's two weeks away, and your training has consisted of walking the dog. Mm -hmm. I walked the dog up Dave's trail, so at least it's a steep uphill. Ah, yeah. Where's Dave's trail? It's just across the street. Um, it's you know it takes just a few minutes to get to, and then it's a nice steep hill, and it's sort of my go-to workout. And um, could do laps on it you know, and still get back in time to pick up the kids from school or, uh, you know, so it's, it's good. And I have done, I've done one bike ride. My dad was in town and he, one, uh huh. he dropped me off out at, uh, North Klondike, which is 23 road miles from the house. And I rode, rode on trails, single track trails, pretty much the whole way, um, back to my house from out there. So that's my training. Okay. Well, like you say, experience sometimes helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what, what else is next, if I may ask? Uh, this real strong athletic background, race directing, business owner. Uh, you don't seem like you're going to go into politics, though. No, I'm interested in politics, ah. but I think it makes me more frustrated than anything. So, um, so I stay out of it. So, yeah. Um, because Moab politics are going to heat up. There's it, some big yeah. decisions coming up here now. I'm I've I've got my hands on my ears right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's ugly. <laughs> yeah, growing pains. So I'll stay out of it and see what they can sort out, and hopefully they'll sort it out in a good way. And otherwise, I think I'm going to just move to the equator with my kids, and they'll get a chance to learn Spanish, and we'll go. Are you considering running. doing that? Yeah, I'm thinking of taking them down. We've got a trip planned to Belize. Oh. Um, and but yeah, I'd like to take them to somewhere down uh, south and and put them in a Spanish-speaking school and homeschool them um, for just for part of the year. Nice. And then bring them back to the standard American schools so that they can get a little bit of both. Belize is a great paddling destination. Yes, I know. I. Uh, I've got we've got some trips planned to go cave paddling and cave tubing and yeah, nice and ocean kayaking too. <laughs> <laughs> snorkeling snorkeling yeah lots to do there right we're, we're, I'm ready for uh, a vacation someplace warm haven't been I'd love to travel and that's you know that's part of why I I enjoy the trail running and the adventure racing so much as the traveling and getting to explore new places. And with Taz, he got sick. When he got sick this past year, I stayed close to home to take care of him and to be near him. And he passed about two weeks ago. Oh, my condolences. So sad. It's been horrible without him. Um, but I promised myself that when he um, was gone that I would take off to to do some traveling again. So we're, we're going to go do some exploring. Nice. Congratulations. And Moab, as we've discussed, is just blowing up. It's uh, 
remarkable. The good side is they set out the federal government, local government, business, chamber of commerce, and volunteers to make this a world-class mountain biking destination resort. And they succeeded. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate that. It's it's like as Vail is to skiing, Moab is to mountain biking. So someone can just fly in. You can fly into Moab Airport now, in case people did not know that. And just walk in, rent your gears, get handed a trail map, uh, rent your, your gear equipment, I mean, and off you go. It's kind of remarkable. Yeah, I mean, the trail mix crew did an amazing job of building trails and they're wonderful trails and they've got i mean you don't even really need a map they've got signposts with very clear maps at almost every intersection they lit- i'm shocked i've never seen that before i mean just like i said i got dropped off 23 miles from town on the highway off the highway and i rode my bike single track all the way back to my house and i I took a straight line, you know, I could have done miles and miles of single track to the left and to the right. Um, so it's pretty great. It's fun. It's fun. And as soon as you get a little bit out, you're gone. It's, yeah. It's you, still there. The you, crowds are in Main Street. Yeah. <laughs> right. Main Street's crazy and you want to avoid Main Street, especially at certain times. But once you get out on the trails, you, you it's know, you kind of, yeah, you'll see a few people out there. You know, in case you forget to bring your dog or your device, but pretty much, you know, you have the trail to yourself. Correct. Correct. Well, on that note, uh, I look forward to maybe doing something together sometime. Yeah. I never got to finish that adventure from a year ago. Um, so maybe we'll try that one again with the handline. Let's do that. That's yeah. that. But we can't yeah. talk about that in this podcast. We don't want anyone else to know about oh, that. Oh, yeah, the secret route. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danelle, it's always good to see you, and that's a fantastic story, and you're continuing to tell the story. So thank you for sharing. Well, thank you. Thanks for all you do with this you know, website, and I've always been fascinated by the fastest known times. Um, and even though I'm not fast enough to do the fastest times anymore. I still uh, love reading about it and hearing about it because it inspires me to get out and explore new routes. And I'm the kind of person who likes to go fast. Like, even though I'm not the fastest, I I don't mess around. I like to just get from point A to Z and uh, in an efficient manner. So um, I dig this stuff and appreciate you covering it. Thank you very much, Danielle. Yeah, thank you.